brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. spoke to Nick Cahill, who had that audio and video, and I was saying, like, got to use some of that on the podcast and tease it out there, uh, and, you know, that hopefully you guys will enjoy it, and if you're not already a member of the Spec Ops channel, you check that out at specopschannel.com so you can see the full series. Um, but anyway, I'm actually recording the intro for this at uh, my home setup, and you might be like, wow, that microphone sounds pretty good. You sound pretty sexy, and I say thank you to that. Um <laughs> Uh, well, you know what, you know, what's funny. I'll tell you guys this. So every now and again, I get asked like for people who have a home setup of like, what's the best mic to get. And the mic that I use in the studio is great. We use one of those Heil, um, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, microphones, which are the same ones they use at Sirius XM. Um, that's why we suggested them. But then when I would record these episodes at home, I'd have these, this, that, uh, blue Yeti microphone, which, if, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, is a piece of crap. I, I'm not a fan. So I always said when people would ask me, what's the best uh, home microphone to get? For one, I am by no means a tech guy. So I always defer to Kirill, who helps me out with all that stuff. Um, but I also couldn't say that what I had was great because I, I don't think that blue Yeti microphone sounded very good. I mean, that's what you you'll hear me on in the last episode. So I finally made a little investment here, which was relatively cheap though, and got the Rode. Um, it's made by Rode. It's the NT USB mic and I'm not being paid by them or anything like that. If you're not a sponsor, but I really love the sound of this microphone. Like, I think it sounds just as good as any microphone I've used. That's like double the price of this thing. So since I get those questions now and again, I could actually give you a good answer now. And this Rode, uh, let me make sure I have the name right again. This Rode NT USB mic, uh, NT USB condenser mic is really um, great. I'm enjoying it. I mean, this is the first time I'm ever on it, so I can't talk about the longevity of it or anything like that. But uh, I'm a fan of just the way I'm sounding right now, and hopefully you guys are as well. Uh Getting into this episode itself, like I said, this is a segment from Inside the Team Room. Uh, please become a member of the Spec Ops channel. Not only do you get all those Inside the Team Room episodes, but you'll also get all the episodes of Training Cell, which a lot of work goes into. Those guys work so hard on recording those episodes and putting together new stuff. Um, 
and just a lot of other great material and great content is on there on the Spec Ops channel. And plus, we have the app for i for um the iPhone and Android now. If you look up the Spec Ops channel app, so become a member uh, for a limited time. It's only four ninety nine a month. SpecOpsChannel.com. Uh, as always, we have our clubs. First and foremost, Crate Club, the premier club of gear, handpicked by special operations military veterans. Uh, you know, we have a lot of great collaborations in the works right now, stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. Uh, I, I should mention, since we have Ernie Emerson coming back on the podcast soon, Jim West, which is going to be a blast, uh, we've had Emerson knives in those premium crates. So uh, if you're not already a member, get on it, crateclub.us. And we've also partnered with Kuna Dog. So if you're looking for supplements and toys sent to your dog each month, uh, Kuna is where it's at. It's it's specifically picked for your dog, uh, depending on their size and age. And uh, they mix it up and do different, you know, great work with that. And they speak to experts in the field. So it's Kuna.dog, C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. And uh, what we get into from this segment of the intelligence inside the team room is we start with the Odyssean, favorite of the show, talking about living a compartmentalized lifestyle. Uh, and then, then it goes into Sam Faddis talking about working with his wife. So as Sam says, he's never not at the office, which is a, a different obstacle than what most other guys are used to. Um, if you don't know all of these people speaking, the Odyssean, James Powell, Sam Faddis, Daniel Bezier, they've all been on the show before. So uh, if you might be like, who is this talking? I would say maybe familiarize yourself with those names, look back in the archives or episodes with all of them, and uh, you could pause this and then check it out. They've all been here. Uh, they also get into habits that you get into after leaving the community and entering the civilian realm. Some some of those may sound like paranoia, but some of it may just sound like being situationally aware. Uh, I'll leave that up for you to interpret. Uh, a lot of this audio was recorded on a boom mic, actually. I was there when they recorded it, so you know I don't know the reason for that. Not everybody had like a um, mic on their lapel or anything like that, so uh, you're going to hear the difference in, in me speaking right now than when it jumps to this audio, so I'll tell you that in advance. So all I could say to that is crank it up. I really think you're going to enjoy it, though, and uh, once you're done with it, Go become a member of the Spec Ops channel if you're not already. SpecOpsChannel.com. And you'll you'll also actually hear Drew Wallace and Jack Murphy jump in a couple of times during this. Because um, they were there and they were kind of keeping it going by asking some questions now and again. So you'll hear those two voices. Uh, let's get right into it. All right. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, like the psychology living like a compartmentalized lifestyle. Uh, I guess we probably also need to explain what a compartmentalized lifestyle profession is in terms of having the different um, like segments or sections of your life. I was explaining uh, the, the analogy I was given was an office full of cubicles. And you have, for example, maybe your family is in one cubicle. A certain element of your profession is in another cubicle. Your hobbies are in another cubicle. And you try to keep those things separated for security reasons or psychological reasons or whatever it is. So let's talk about the psychology that goes into this lifestyle, the lifestyle. So Sam, I'm gonna ask you first, do you think you can hit me with the nitty gritty? 
Yeah, well, I mean, when you're running operations, first of all, you got to understand, you know, you're sort of on 24-7, right, 365 days a year. You don't deploy, come back, take downtime, and if you're on foreign soil. So there is no break, right? You're in it all of the time. And so you've got to have got lots of stuff going on in your life that you can't talk to normal people about. Uh, you're just working at a furious pace. I mean, I think most people don't really understand the speed with which CIA lives. I've spent a lot of time, I was in the military, I've worked with the military. I, I know that there's like just no comparison. You're just moving so much faster. Things that other people will be taking three months to plan is, we talked about it this morning, we're doing it tonight, Yeah. if you're lucky. Sometimes it's get in the car, we're gonna make up the plan on the way. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen too often, right? So you got you got all of this. You got physical danger. Sometimes you got a team. CIA case officers work alone a lot. I spent a lot of time just with a gun on my ankle. Yeah. When it, if I messed everything up tonight, the final plan is me and hoping I can shoot this guy. Fortunately, he's probably really close, so I have a decent <laughs> shot. Uh, in the passenger seat, right? <laughs> And then you got your assets, right? You run sources, and your CIA case officer is no joke. Keeping that source alive is, that's your whole thing. That's your bond, and they take it very, very seriously. So every mistake, any, every mistake you make, any mistake you make, <laughs> that dude is dead, he's going to prison, his, his life family. is ruined, his family's destroyed, and that's on you all day. And you might be handling, I don't know, a dozen assets that, and you're meeting sources almost every night. You're yeah. out doing that. So, I mean, what happens? You uh, you get tremendous psychological pressure. What happens is like what happens in most high pressure uh, careers, like in law enforcement. Um, some people handle it. Some people don't. Divorce rates through the roof. People. Some people can handle their booze. Some people can't. You can't talk to it. Talk to your family about it either. You can't bring because it it's home. A, well, I could because my well, your spouse was but because my wife and I yeah. are a, a tandem act, and actually my entire career is Operation Coattails. So I just hang on to her and follow her around. Smart she man. does. She does all the hard work. But, smart man. But that's a benefit, right? In mm -hmm. the sense that you know what you're doing. It also means 100% you are never not at the office. I mean, now yeah. you uh, that your entire life is consumed. Yeah. So. Crushing pressure. Yeah. Even to the point where you are at home, you're off work, so to speak, you're off the clock, so to speak, boom, something comes on TV, um, and I won't get into the details of it, but even something like the uh, scandal at Penn State, Yeah. when that hit the news, automatically, I had to get in my car and drive to the office, and uh, my boss met me there, and it started this whole process, and I can't go into why, but something like that, even if you're just trying to relax, you got your bourbon or whatever, and you see something on the news, you're like, oh, shit. You're on call. It's I'll see you later. Yeah, you just yeah. got to get dressed and go, so you're my, never off. My wife and I used to do this thing, you know, you're moving a thousand miles an hour, you're both seeing sources, you're doing all this stuff. Every once in a while, we, you know, ships passing in the night, we would meet at the house and be like, obviously standing outside, never talking to your house, right? Don't talk yeah. in your car, don't talk in your house, mm -hmm. uh, don't talk in your hotel room. Compare notes. What do you got going on tonight? Realize, oh my God, neither one of us has anything going on tonight. This Holy is unbelievable. Shit. 
we're gonna watch an old movie and fall asleep on the couch. That is the big thing. <laughs> <laughs> we actually get to chill. Yeah. Sam, is there ever a time, and that's a, a somewhat unique situation that you and your wife were both in the agency. Was there ever a time where, because of compartmentalization, you couldn't tell her something, she couldn't tell you something? Or is it kind of like, yeah, we're, look, we're married, everyone knows the deal here? I, yeah, I mean, when, so, you know, my wife is a case officer in station as well. So there are cases that she does that I'm handling and I know she's handling. And then there are degrees of compartmentalization within the agency, right? So there are definitely cases where only a very, very limited number of people even within operations see. 100% I handled assets and ran in operations that she was not privy to. Yep. She did the same. In fact, actually at one point she ran an operation which was a counterintelligence investigation of me without telling me. It's a little scary actually. <laughs> Fortunately it was all good. Uh, but uh, You have to be able to do that. I mean, you have to be able to do that, but I think this whole segment is talking about the psychology. You have to be able to do that, but that doesn't mean you can't. It burns you out. You talked about, okay, so we said you're never off. Then the problem becomes when it does bleed over, okay, so you're married to another case officer. I was married to a counterintelligence case officer at one point, no longer. <laughs> may or may not have had anything to do with it. But it bleeds over into your personal life Absolutely. even without meaning to. And that's a conversation Jason and I were having earlier. You know, there's a rule case officers never CO another CO right you well, don't, hey, what's CO? so officer. CO is a case officer yep, right so case you have this, this set officer. of skills right that you're taught you know how to elicit information from people how to manipulate information it's about the human condition we talked about effectively our jobs are to lie cheat and steal legally right we do all of these things trying not to take that home to your friends and your family and the other people is really difficult so so one thing I that is absolutely 100% important to everything we film in this series. But I want to keep it on to the compartmentalization, but none of us need to forget that we need to drag it back to that. Okay. Because we all have a set of skills that that, that, that bleeds. Like, so for me in compartmentalization, I've never ever had a single bit of problem keeping whatever I do locked, hopefully airtight in all the compartments. Uh, that takes a lot of fucking time out of my day when I'm back in Japan most days. Um, but what I find bleeding compartments is the skill sets. I never went to any formal training for anything I know how to do. Uh, and Jason and I talk about this at great length. You know, like I, I didn't go to a selection process. I'm just not dead. I didn't get formally trained in any of this stuff. Psychological Except, impact. Yeah. Psychological impact. Yeah, right, right. And so the the bleeding of compartments of that we need to get back to, which is related to the compartments, but in terms of the compartments of the, the other parts of your life. A lot of not a lot of people, I know people in the agency that have a job in the agency that isn't really their job in the agency. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and that's, that's a another You have to live your cover, that's another right? Facet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cover. Maintain your profile. Yeah, you What's have your to maintain those things. And so with me, my kids knew fairly early, not too, too early on what I did. Um, not exactly, but where, I should say, I worked. Yeah. Uh, my ex-wife and I had that conversation. We believed they were mature enough. I took it to my bosses, and they basically said, if you believe they're ready for it, 
you're, you know, you have to just weigh the consequences because once those words are out of your mouth, you can't take them back. You can't take them back. So psychologically, it's not just affecting you; it's affecting your family, and of course, you're required to tell your spouse what you do. So now you put that in their mind, and because going back to the COing thing, because your spouse is a, is more mature than your children, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> hopefully. Sometimes. They probably have a better idea there. based on movies or whatever, but at least a base idea of what it is that you do. Yeah. So now, psychologically, anything that comes out of your mouth, they may be thinking, is that the truth? Yes. Why? Is he yeah. really telling yeah. the truth? And then you're, and psychologically yourself, you, you have to compartmentalize what little information you can give. And then there are some people who um, wear their heart on their sleeve, so it's they may feel that guilt, you know, about lying to that person or you know your spouse or your significant other or whatever. But there are little habits since we're talking psychologically that we take with us from military, that discipline, whatever. But also from the intelligence world, um, it used to be, and I'm sure it still is. You know, you turn your phone off a mile from whatever, blah blah blah. You know, wherever your your headquarters or station, whatever it is. I don't do that anymore. However, I'm still very conscious of the conscious of what I say on the phone. Um, yeah. You know where I leave my phone. I always have my phone on me. Uh, it's to the point where I'll see a, a vehicle in my rear view or my side view and be like, "Wow, they just made three turns with me." And then I'm like, "Whoa, what am I doing here?" Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, calm down. You know, um, but those things we carry with us. So I never had the negative psychological effect of it, except. I will say this, I talked earlier about going to work every day, turning on my computer, reading that cable traffic and is the best thing in the world. I'm no longer doing that. So now I feel that you're not it's almost like a sense of loss. Yeah, like I feel I don't know. Because I feel trapped in that world between the average Joe on the street and someone who's still working yeah, in the know. who's you're, in the know. You're outside the matrix. Absolutely. And you know that you can't ask. That perhaps saw this thing on TV. What's really Can you so tell me? Because they're going to look at you and be like, you know better. You know, you 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 know better than that. But you're always going to have that want. So yeah. psychologically, I've been accused of being paranoid before, but I think if if you've done our jobs and you're not paranoid, you weren't paying attention. Yeah, but like, well, you're not paranoid if they really are out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so I, I joke I joke with every single one of us about this, and and like I don't think it got me alive exactly, but I've I've always said the same thing. It's not paranoia if they could be following you. Yeah. Could. That's true. Could. I, I didn't always go straight home to any of the homes or hooches or hides that I had. I, I would always take a certain amount of 90 returns or go through, a, go through a, a really, really open area so I could see or, or whatever it is, you know. Uh, and, and yeah. You, you used the word when you were talking discipline, right? Okay, which applies to a lot of things. I mean, yeah. Clearly applies to the military all across the board. But you're talking about compartmentation, or I would use maybe a broader word, tradecraft, right? Yeah. yeah. Just deal. This is just bedrock, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. 100%. This is not fungible, sort of, I try, uh, kind of, if. It's, just it's by, on my list today. Like, yeah. it's, it's by the numbers. I mean, you, it, you could operate in the military in a certain MOS. You're operating a piece of equipment. We're taking up the helicopter. We're operating this armored vehicle. We don't sort of check things. We don't kind of make sure. We don't, we don't feel like it might fly today, right? There's just, this is the way we do it, and then there is no other way that we do it. 
And if you're up in operations, it's got to be that yeah, way. Absolutely. You do not talk on the phone about anything that has to do with work. You do not write down notes and keep them on you. I don't care where you are. All my passwords you don't, my passwords. You don't turn on the television and have a conversation thinking that that's sound masking and you can now defeat audio or yeah, yeah. You don't ever cut any corners. Yeah. And I'm, hey, I'm more damaged than you, man. I still look for surveillance yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You ask me to write a note, I'm going to take a 3 by 5 card out. I'm going to go to a hard surface, write whatever it is on that card, because it will leave no impressions yeah. on any other card. I will not write on a pad of paper. My wife and I will not, exactly, there you go. <laughs> My wife and I, to this day, if we're going to have a significant conversation, I will just say, you want to take a walk? And we'll Don't go do walk down house. across yeah. the property. Yeah. Who the heck is listening to yeah. Sam? They got to whisper 2000. Talk about yeah. some issue with our kids. Exactly. I have no idea and pretty much guarantee yeah. nobody. I'm still ingrained. So so one of the things about like since I guess we've moved into the tradecraft and I, I you and I've had this conversation, like I don't call any of the shit that I do or any, any of the any of the skills or abilities I've developed over the years, I wouldn't call that tradecraft. I mean it is fundamentally, but whatever, technically it's not. Uh, so I think there's a difference and we've talked about like the kind of psychological profile that could be involved in this job. So do you have attention to detail and pattern recognition because you have it and that's what drew you to this career? Or did you develop that because you got into this career but you had other... Well, I think other you have a propensity oh, for it. Yeah. That's what I believe. And it's, I believe and it's, it's molded yeah. and shaped over the years. Yeah. If you don't have a propensity for it, I don't think you make it. No. It's just like uh, personality. Well, one thing I was talking about with Lawrence, we can give you everything in this book here, we cannot give you a personality. Yeah, if but you don't have it, I can, make, I can make you better if you don't have a certain amount of natural ability. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to have been an NFL pro quarterback. Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. the best coaching in the world was not going to happen. not going to happen. not going to make that happen. Yeah, so, uh, so, so one of the things that I, like, I personally think, and I want to toss this out to you guys to, to discuss or think about or whatever, so, so that, that propensity, that psychological propensity to have attention to detail or to, to be uh, disciplined about certain things, um, I, I believe that those are the things that come with us once we leave that career field or whatever, uh, and those, those are the things that don't die. You may feel like you want to turn your phone off a mile away from a certain location, but you're not. You're probably never going to stop thinking you should, but you're not doing it now because you have attention to detail and discipline. That doesn't mean you have to activate that. So one of the things that you brought up to me at shop several years ago, was that when I'm in public and I move my location, the very first thing I do is break up my outline. Yep. And I mean, that's just a thing. Explain that got, to people if they don't know what Okay, so, so I'll give you the example. So several years ago, uh, Jack Murphy and, and Jay and I were sitting at a, like a cafe, wherever it's shot. And uh, I always, generally, always in public will wear a neutral colored jacket with a hood and we had been with each other for the last three days. Every single time I stand up, the first thing I did was flip that hood on because it's broken my outline. I mean, we joke all the time about how when I was in Japan, I'd go to meets and I'd change my hat. But you know what's funny about that? Is if I was running counter surveillance on you, I'd have a pattern on you for doing that. Yeah, well you can have a pattern for me on anything, but if I know you're following me, I know you've got a profile. And so I maintain that profile. 
Unless, the, unless you don't see her. She's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good. Never yeah, yeah, absolutely. Never and, see, got found. and see, that is actually where, I mean, I guess we could ramble into the paranoia zone, but so that's where we get into those layers of shit like, well, I know they could be following me, so I'm going to maintain this profile. Even if I don't know they're there, I'm still maintaining a profile. Um, so the Maybe they know that I'm maintaining a profile, and they've been analyzed that, that profile. Paranoia. So then it's like, man, you are so many rabbit holes into a, a complete circle tangent. I personally, in my personal experience, uh, I, I have to get to a point where the discipline kicks in. And it's like, stop being a fucking moron. But Danielle, maybe you can speak to that uh, from a counterintelligence perspective. I mean, how hard is it to run intel on a trained professional? That's a totally different ballgame, isn't it? Yeah, it's a totally different ballgame, and in fact, usually the ones we find are not the trained professionals, right? So they're the ones that the trained professional has recruited, and maybe not given them just... See, the hard part is when you're recruiting somebody, maybe you guys can speak to this a little bit, you don't ever want to give them tradecraft, right? Because you don't want to make them look obvious. Well, in a way, you don't make them look obvious either, right? Because they're not going to do it well, right? So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who thinks they just have enough skill. Very difficult to run counterintelligence on a trained professional. So yeah. finding somebody, usually we know who they are, right? If they're in country, you already know who they are. They're not going to do anything that's going to get them busted on espionage law. It's the person they might be running. Yeah. Their source that they recruited that is probably going to be the so one. So you find their weak link and work back. Yeah, you find the weak link and you hope that they have been enough of a weak link that they've connected themselves to yeah. it. Yeah. But if they're really good at their job, if they're a good case officer, they've yeah. eliminated all of Yeah, I mean, what I would say about surveillance on it is you never want to operate, well, you want to avoid, if you possibly can, operating in a mode where your plan is that you're going to have surveillance. Right. And now we're going to go get away from those guys. Yeah. There are places where that's you avoid that at that, all costs. There are places where there, you have no choice, and that's the deal. Yeah. That's probably as far down that road as we can go. Yeah. But the point is, if you attract attention and they are looking at you, then tomorrow, having taken note of you, instead of sending eight guys to follow you, they're going to send 150 guys, yeah. and they're going to hang a beacon on your car. And you're going to cover down on everything. At 10,000 feet, and you can be Superman, and you're yeah. still not going to get away will never well, see those guys. Yeah, and, and you know, like this is another thing that Jay and I have talked about. Like, first of all, I don't, I don't suspect that I've ever been followed by a trained professional. Um, but, but with that, like, again, back to the rule number one, maintain profile. If I know I'm in a country and I've got surveillance, or in my case, if I know that people know that I've been asking too many questions and now people are following me, the last thing I really want to do is break that, break that surveillance because now they're going to know that I have a level of skill that exceeds what they initially thought. And that is an indicator. If, me, if, if I was following a guy and he broke my surveillance, I would instantly read what that person has done as an indicator. Okay, I've got to kick this up and get 150 guys and a 10,000 foot view and a beacon on his car and wire his phone because this dude isn't just a dude. And surveillance has different purposes too, right? Like, so sometimes, you know, you're, you are trying to catch someone, and other times you're trying, you want them to know you're there, exactly. right? Because yeah. you're trying to make it so difficult yeah. for them to do their job. Well, the, yeah. Well, in the more days you go get your coffee at 8 a.m. and then go buy your paper at 9 a.m. and go buy milk and eggs at the store, the more days you do the exact same damn thing, those guys are going to be like, this fucking dude is the most boring person in the world. I'm not following him anymore, boss. 
Right, but the key to that is you got to know what your status is. Yes, you, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. To, you have to know what the, which day they're there and which day yeah. they're. And at any point in that pattern, if you, for you're you're sure you're not, you're sure you're not, you're sure you're not covered, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm not really sure. Depending on where you are, that's where you just break off and go home. Yeah. As soon as there's that inkling of doubt, you gotta break off. Yeah, yeah. You can't take any chances. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, to me, so like in our conversations and stuff like that's the stuff that fascinates me because because I, I didn't work in that context you know what I'm saying like I couldn't go home and just pack my bag and be like okay well I'm quitting my job and my life here and going home and I guess working at Starbucks no we just mean like end of the route for the day yeah 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 yeah, for sure but you know like and and I because I didn't have to deal with I didn't have to deal with national guys following me it would just be some shithead that works for an organized crime unit which is different but you know what it's the same fundamental shit but you know yeah um I, I couldn't I couldn't necessarily just take a weird two hour route home there had to be a reason I was taking a two-hour route home. That's the whole point. You have to have a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to come up with a reason. It can't be a weird route. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is this guy yeah, doing if this? If it's a weird route, then you're done. You're yeah, done. Exactly. yeah, exactly. That gave yeah. him the answer to the question. I went, yeah, I went all the way over two hours out of the way because I really had to buy this type of soy sauce from right. this one location I had to buy it from. Jason, like, uh, speaking to the like psychology behind some of the, I think the personalities involved, like you had told me some stories in the past about, you know, like the crusty old case officers working in some difficult parts of the world where some dude, like KGB guy, will like slap oh, pictures yeah, across picture. the table oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of them with somebody yeah. who might, may not be their wife, and you know, they'll look right at them and be like, I don't give a fuck, bro. And I, I mean, I think yeah, that's, I her. Like, that, that's a real like, Alpha dog personality yeah. to be able to operate in those kind of environments. Yeah. So Depends one of my on training you. officers, he, uh, you know, told the whole story. He was in in Min- Minsk. 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 God. Uh, that place. <laughs> so he's he's. Uh, I want to say he had been at a car wash or something like that, and he's while he's there, he's approached one of these guys, and they just hand him some pictures. Don't say a word to him. <laughs> opens it up, and there's a guy in these pictures, uh, doing his thing, that could have been him, it wasn't. But it, if you looked at it, you would have thought it was him. And he looked at it, in this case, he said, first of all, t- I know what you're trying to do. Second of all, take a look at me. Do you think somebody as ugly as me is gonna be with a woman like that and have my wife believe it? Gave it back so I'm gonna walk away. Another guy, who was a, actually a good friend of this training officer, in a restaurant or in a diner, guys come, they box him in, slide pictures across, and uh, this time it was him. And he looked at it and said, I don't give a fuck, tell her. He's like, yeah. I'll call her right now. And just <laughs> pushed his way out and walked away. Yeah. It's all about, like you said, maintain the profile and that confidence. Yeah. What is it, the, uh, you know, stick to your story, stick to your story. Yeah, you yeah. gotta stick Denied to your guns. Denied. Yeah, you no, know? no, it's a, it's a, it's a, deny everything, act surprised, and express yourself. Because as soon as you, and it goes back to psychological, as soon as they see that crack, that, oh shit. It's an indicator. Yeah. Now yeah. there's that. Yeah, now That's they what you exploit that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you so, can't, I mean, you can't ever afford that as a case officer. Yeah. you got to put on the face. Yep. Exactly. You can sweat all you want once you get in the car or back home. You can have a nervous breakdown after you get off stage, but when you're on stage, nothing phases you, nothing shakes you. Absolutely. You never blink, whatever. Sam and I actually were instructors together for a little while. And um, so this isn't a training environment, but to get people to that place, I was telling the story earlier, I had 
one of the, the instructors say, hey, I need your help with role playing. So what we set up is he was getting his students used to having these meetings and trying to keep the straight face and not letting anything phase them. So I mean, this is several years ago, but I roll in in the hooker heels and the whole thing and like sit down, slide next to my guy. And I'm like, I want my money. And you see their faces go wide, right? And the whole thing was throwing a kink into the works of I was his ex-wife and I had found him. Who are these guys? You have time to have lunch with these? I mean, I went off on him and freaking out. But so that's in a training environment. You have to do this in the real world, right? Absolutely. Where you never drop that well, face. I mean, you got to look. You got to deal with everything, including things that are completely freaking ludicrous, right? Right. right. You're talking about my wife. She's doing a car pickup, so she's rolling out to pick up an asset, and they're going to drive around the car. She's in a country, a third world country, believe it or not. <laughs> she pulls up, opens the door, dude jumps in, accelerates. In this city. There are giant hogs that roam around the streets. Hog walks in front of the car. This is the middle of the night. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black. There are no street lights. She doesn't see the hog. She accelerates. I'm getting off the X. I got the asset. I'm gone. There is a loud thump. Oh, God. There's clearly something stuck under the car. And it is now squealing that you can hear just like like it's a dinosaur so loud. And obviously, she's not stopping right here, we're on the X. She goes like a mile, makes like four turns with the hog. Stuck up under the car? car. The asset is having an emotional breakdown because basically they've turned on a pig siren as they're racing through the seats. Stops the car, now she's thinking, now I guess I got a dead hog or a critically wounded hog stuck under my car. What's the plan? I don't remember this part from training. Nobody can train you. Stops the car. The car rocks back and forth, thumps. Hog gets out from underneath the car and walks off, unfazed. I don't get dragged. It's a tough hog. And she's got to look at the asset and say, okay, let's just do the other video. That's your point, though. I'm glad you passed that little test. You keep rolling, though. That's, that's the point. That's right. Yeah. We, we, so, got, we got a meeting to do. Absolutely. So something that happened with me, was, a, and it was in a training exercise, speaks to, it kind of goes back to the recruitment piece a little bit when someone asks, what do I need to be able to do this? So one of the things you need to have is an even temperament. Yeah. So with me, anybody that knows me knows I'm very, very easygoing. We will joke about all kinds of things, race, uh, politics, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. So I was sitting in this training exercise across from the, uh, the role player, and we had had a series of meetings up to the recruitment. And, and you, know, you know how it goes at the end, you, know, you find out that they have a certain bottle of wine, that they like whiskey, whatever it is, you bring them a gift, part of it. So I bought, you know, done my homework, went out with my little piddly money that they give us, got my bottle of wine, went through the whole spiel, give him the bottle of wine, and he pauses and he says, boy, what makes you think I want to do this? Boom. What little hair I had on the back of my neck went up. So I was, you know, went through my backtracking and, you know, uh, reaffirming, you know, everything. And um, he called me boy two more times. By the time he finally agreed, after playing this game with me, later on in our brief, he told me my knuckles were white because I was ready to come out of the chair and just strangle him on the spot. But... It was a combination of my temperament and the fact that I wanted to get through this. I wanted to pass this. So 
you know, we talk about psychological, how these things happen, you know, or the effects that they have. I've always been like that, but going through that training and going through the real world stuff that I've done has strengthened that that much more that if I'm in a store somewhere and someone decides they want to run their mouth about my Raiders jersey, which God help them, but um, you know, or wait a minute, you're a Raiders fan? <laughs> you missed that? Whoa, Tried and true. Yeah, so that or, or race or whatever it is, um, I'm able to pull on that, not consciously, but I'm able to pull on that training yeah. that I've had, that psychological background, you know, that uh, strengthening I've had to pull on that to just let it go. Um, so I guess my point, what I'm trying to say is we're talking about PTSD that came up. I've never heard PTSD in the intelligence world. You hear it in the military all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, and you think about how it manifests itself. Let's just use the letters PTSD in the military world. Most people on the streets think it. When you ask them about that, they'll think homelessness, drugs, a crime, whatever it is. But for us, in the intelligence world, PTSD, for me, I've seen it manifests itself in the habits that we just talked about. Right. Those things, those stressors, quote to speak, that stay with us, and where we have to yeah. dial it back and be like, I'm getting a little crazy. Okay. I'm in, you know, in Virginia right now. I'm not in Uzbekistan, you know. So yeah. So so I'm glad you brought that up because it all it, it relates to this. So you brought up the, the Raiders, and you're like, ah, oh, Raiders, oh, Raiders. Um, well, because they like, suck. Yeah. That's why. There's a little more than that. I heard there mm-hmm. was a fan, and I heard there was a fan. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll do you. I'll do you one better than that, and related to this PTSD. I don't give a fuck about football. I don't give a single fuck about football. And in this country, if you're in a bar on Sunday or Monday or any other damn day of the week that a football game is on, and somebody's like, "Hey, who's supporting?" I say, "These guys get all die in a fire. I don't care." If it doesn't, now I'm in. Because I don't like whoever it is you like, and I don't like whatever it is you like, or whoever you like. Now I'm this fucking weirdo that does not like football. Let's get to the PTSD. So in my brain, I've got a lot of weird quirks, and I've got stressy times in my life. And I've come to realize in myself, or understand in myself, that what that is 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 a misplaced element of context. And so when I have spent the majority of my adult life in a constant overseas footing. And I'm not ripping out for six months and coming back or whatever and coming back. I'm in a country for five years. I go weeks and months without speaking to another native speaker, which is why I ran. Um, so I come back and I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm out of context because of my psychological propensities, because of the skill sets or tradecraft or whatever that is now so ingrained it's habitual you, you, know, you say stuff like, uh, oh, yeah, it's second nature. And it's like, no, it's nature. Yeah, it's not even There's second. not even a second. There's I not a that. fucking hierarchy of natures here. That's the nature. And, uh, and so, like, for me, I'll come back and, and, like, being in a foreign country and being so isolated where, like, I don't have other case officers I'm working with. I don't have, like, a collection manager I talk to. I don't have somebody doing my payroll or some shit, you know? So, like, the PTSD for me, I wouldn't call it post, I wouldn't call it traumatic, and I wouldn't call it stress, and I sure as fuck wouldn't call it a syndrome, but I clearly have this thing where, like, I'm, I'm off track sometimes, probably often, really, and, and because of the, the even keel, I don't, like, panic about it, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't like football, who should I like, ah, oh, I'm like, 
And like I, so the point is, it just it manifests itself. Yeah. And I, I can't say this across the board because I'm not. Uh, I haven't done the intelligence work for 30 years or whatever, and I wasn't in the military for 30 years. Yeah. So I think what, what I've observed is it observed is it manifests itself differently. For us, yeah. I look. You know the sprint versus marathon thing. I look at intelligence. Uh, intelligence career is more of a marathon. That stress, a marathon stress, it's long term. So if it's going to manifest itself, it's going to probably manifest itself sometime throughout your career. Yeah. You probably are not going to have a stellar career, squeaky clean, and then start drinking at the end. It's going to start <laughs> in there. Stays, whereas with keeps the, you solid. Yeah, whereas with the military part of it, it's, it's a sprint. You're being forced to sprint under gunfire, under IEDs, you know, that sort of thing. Those kind of stresses, they're, they're in the moment stresses where you don't have time to explode until yeah. the end. And I, again, that's not that's not across the board, you know, I'm not an expert on it, but I think it's, it is a PTSD in the yeah. stress part of it. It's just a marathon versus a split. We, it's, it's a protracted stress, yes. Yeah. So can we bring this back to what I was talking about earlier, because this is a good place to talk about it, right? You were saying, okay, you're isolated, Sam was saying sometimes as a case officer you work alone. My issue was that I was always surrounded by other people whose job it is to do this. And so you get in this echo chamber of paranoia and manipulation. And you're never supposed to do it to the people you work with, but it's very hard to stop, right? You come back into the office and you've been lying, cheating, stealing all day, forgotten country over here. Very difficult to turn that off when you're dealing with just regular people. So I don't know how much you guys experience that, but especially in... The Walking into headquarters or walking into your station, 
those stressors are, that's your job. That's what you do. So some people actually, that's their catharsis, catharsis God, with the words today. Um, Where's you know, our catharsis. They love doing that stuff. I'm sure in your case, it's exactly what it was. It's what comes outside of that. Uh, finances, kids in school, uh, you know, um, getting, not getting along with your wife, those sorts of things. I think those are the threats that start the wheel of uh, of uh, well, in there's, there's, no yeah. do, there's no doctrinal counterpoint for that shit. Yeah. Now I do know maybe, uh, and I could be wrong here, but um, I want to say AG. Was that Bill AG? Yeah. Yeah. I think with him it was more of a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A doctrinal, or he just didn't. He thought what we were doing as a child. I was talking about motivation. For yes, like a, yeah, for motivation for it was more of a for him. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'm sorry. I, I would say that every asset, honestly, the biggest motivation is ego. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. The CIA is talking. Okay, they want money. Yes, they want money. They've got mis- they've got mistresses. They've got whatever. The bottom line is, I got a big ego. I don't feel like I'm sufficiently recognized, rewarded, right? Yeah. Ames always thought he should have been the DDO, he should have been the boss of operations. Instead, he was eternal GS-14 parked in a corner. So he found somebody Anson that was going to tell him. he was the smartest him. guy in the yeah. world. AG thought he was the smartest guy in the world. Every time we find a guy like that who's disgruntled inside somebody else's organization, thinks he should be the boss, what do we tell him? You're right. You're absolutely You're right. You're a freaking genius. Absolutely. And, yeah. I'm going to yeah. give you that recognition that you have never gotten. And even if you're flashing other motivations, such as the ideological or monetary, whatever, you still have to have a little bit of an ego to say, okay, I'll hand this over to you. Well, and also, yeah. everybody got to rationalize to themselves what they do. They did it. And so we helped out a recruitment. The fact that the guy, you, you know, you give him you give him money, and all he's and it's all about money, but he doesn't want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. Right. What he wants to hear about so, is the contribution. So this actually relates to a subject we talked about earlier in terms of like, uh, well, sometimes they don't want to talk to you because you're the American. And I know a lot of times for me, like, I mean, I wouldn't give anybody money. I didn't have money myself, right? But uh, so it was it was an ego thing. Like I'm hanging out in this bar with this American guy, and people see me hanging out with this dude. Sometimes it's bad, but in my case, most cases, feeds his ego. Yeah, it mm-hmm. feeds his ego, and like now he feels important because I'm like asking him questions about his life. Like you know, his family doesn't even ask him those questions or whatever it is. So, so definitely, I, I think when I'm playing, I used to call it playing devil. Maybe that's not the right idea, like you know, spiritual religious way to put that. But like when I was playing devil, uh, that crack right there, you know, like I, the crack in the, in the face, right? It, it, it was it was always generally shit like ego because you're dealing with it. Like a psychological propensity of an individual. If you catch a guy, like if I was dealing with a guy who was just 110% into whatever industry it was I was trying to impress, um, I think I'd have to Well, Sam, bringing ego up as the number one is most important. We, I think we all know, and maybe for the viewers who don't know, okay, we talk about mice, that's the motivation yeah. thing. So it's monetary. It's ideology, it's compromise, it's ego. But all of those feed into ego regardless because I'm going to feed your ego with the money that I give you. I'm going to feed your ego by saying, yes, your ideology. Yeah, or with money, money it's like I'm in financial jeopardy. My ego is 
at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so you're offering the money, but you're also yeah, offering like that equalysis. Yeah. So you guys, your job is to manipulate somebody who has that need, and then my job is to look for the guys who have that issue and look for and people who are manipulating them. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and to make me off track, so if we are, like, Brian will be back, but, like, as a dude that's been on that side of the fence, you know, like, a uh, 23-year-old 23 23 guy putting in his paperwork to get a TSSCI, and also, just for everybody who doesn't know, TSSCI is the highest level of basic security clearance you're going to get, and that's his top secret special compartmentalized information. We've been using the word compartmentalized or compartmentalization. That's that. The, the shit doesn't come out of that box. But, uh, you know, like, so you go in as a 22, 23-year-old dude, yeah, you might, got, you might have some student loans, or you might have that Mustang at 19% interest you got when you were private, or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, so let me work this out for a second. I'm a 23-year-old dude in a uniform, and you're thinking about not giving me the clearance that will preclude me from the job that is going to allow me to pay the shit off that you're telling me I'm basically criminalized for. Now, that's the uniform level at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, like, I'm sure Jack's been in the same situation, not with himself, with people he knew in the system. It's like, yeah, your clearance is in jeopardy, not necessarily because you've been responsible with your financial responsibilities, but yeah. it's just like, you're in debt. Welcome to America, bro. You know what's funny, though, is ideology has, has gone up and down, right? So in the Cold War, Soviet years, you saw some ideology. Money was always still part of it. Ego's always going to be part of it. Ideologies come back from an insider threat perspective. Right here, so you have the reality winners and that douchebag that I won't name because he just got off. Like we all know. <laughs> right? But, and we spoke about this on the podcast once. Now they think they're doing the right thing. It's the Snowden effect, right? Well, okay. that's interesting, Daniel, because the current ideology has like a profound sense of nihilism involved. It's like, if you're a communist, ostensibly you believe that you're making a better world. Right. But these people like Ed Snowden, um, some of the others that we've seen in recent years, it's like really their ideology is to bring down the state, to yep. bring the United States crashing down. Yep. It, they're, they're destructive powers. They're not even ideological actors per se. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I agree with nihilism part of that, but I think that the first step in any process of, if they believe ideologically that they want to make a better world, and the obstacle for that world, for that better world, is a whatever the current United States, whatever the current ideology is, um, like basic sapper tactics, Sapper engineer tactics are going to be that I need to remove that obstacle. So I can't go out and make a better world. I can't facilitate this movement to this better world without first removing or finding a way around that obstacle. But when it comes to ideology, you can't go around the obstacle. It's exactly the same as like the caliphatic movement uh, in the Middle East or elsewhere in that world, there, you, you cannot go around the obstacle. The obstacle must absolutely, 100% unanimously be removed. You can't even neutralize it. It has to be removed. So to bring all of this back to the same psychological thing we were talking about, that's the irony of it. It's our job when we're recruiting other people is to recruit them to do the thing that we would want to string somebody up for doing for committing treason in our own country, but you're convincing them to believe in you, you're making the world a better place by helping me, and maybe all the different reasons that you might be motivated to do so. That's crucial to you too, though. And on top of that, while you're doing that, you have to get them to take money. Yeah. It's not a recruitment unless you, they 
And they could say a thousand years, I don't want your money, I don't want your money. Well, you're you going to take the money. To get them to take the guy's not taking money. money. He's not He's not on his money. He's not on your money. your friend. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly what I said. He's your friend. He's not your ass. not your ass. Don't come back and tell me you recruited him. Absolutely. So, Matt. So. But that, look, you're talking about the fundamental. The essence of the trade, right? Which, which is, which no, it, it, it is exactly right. It's you're asking this guy or this woman to commit treason, yeah. right? That's what they're doing now. Okay, it might yeah. be true. I mean, to put it in the starkest terms, now maybe they're inside Al Qaeda. Maybe it's not a national group. But the point is, they're. They are betraying their group, their friends, or organization, doing something for which they will be at least imprisoned, if not tortured to death, right. yeah. if caught. And they are betraying the confidences of Earth. Straight up, that's the game. That's the whole game, which is why sometimes the Russians are better than we are at this. Because they, they don't play games about having to think of themselves in terms of wearing a white hat. They just face it straight up. My job is to map your brain, figure out where the buttons are, push whatever buttons I got to push, make you betray every confidence you have for the benefit of my government. That's it. No and then own it enough. if something happens to them. And, that's and then if you die, that, yeah. it's on me. Right? If you die, your family is destroyed. It's all awesome. But some of our adversaries, like you said, are much better. They don't care. Right, but I think we, not everybody, I'm sure there's a case officer on the American side that can live without that. All right, if you guys enjoyed that and I left you wanting some more, there's a lot more to be heard, a lot. So uh, specopschannel.com if you want to hear the rest of that inside the team room. Uh, We will be back on Friday with a new episode, uh, hopefully in the studio, because I, I haven't been there today but there's still construction to be done, and I really would like to be back in there because uh, we have some great guests, including in-studio guests, uh, and I don't want to have to postpone that type of stuff. So, fingers crossed, I'll be back there, and I'm about to be on my way to see the Smashing Pumpkins uh, with my friend Scott, uh, who came up with me in radio at uh, WRHU, Hofstra University, and is like the biggest Smashing Pumpkins fan. He's already been to the uh, show that they did at uh, Mohegan Sun. So hopefully it's a great time. I'm sure it will be. And I'll catch you guys next episode. Follow us as always at Soft Rep Radio. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.